0: Texas talking on. Oh. What was that that you said? Texas talking on. Oh. Gonna hoop upside your head, Texas talking. Oh. Tell me who can you trust when Texas oh. guys are oh. Texas has oh. Texas
1: talking? Oh. Hey, this is James Frank, State Rep from Wichita Falls, as well as co-chair of the Marco Rubio campaign in Texas. I'm proud to introduce today's Tribcast a show with more listeners in Texas than Jim Gilmore got votes in the Iowa caucus. And now here's your host, Closet Rubio supporter, Ross Ramsey. Thank you. I don't think we've discovered that closet yet. This is Ross Ramsey here with the TripCast for the first week you of mean February. The, the Rubio Closet? The Rubio Closet, closet the Rubio. right. I don't know where that closet is. That is that where they
2: keep high-heeled boots?
1: <laughs> I am not advised. I'm joined by that voice there, CEO and Editor-in-Chief Evan Smith.
2: This is a great week, isn't it?
1: It's going to be fun, I think. We
2: know stuff now. We didn't know stuff last week. We actually know stuff now.
1: We know stuff. We're also joined by Julian Aguilar. Hello. He knows plenty of stuff. And by Patrick Trying Spitek. To. Hello. Hello. He knows Just the fresh, stuff. Fresh from the frozen tundra. And I guess we'll start with the frozen tundra. What the hell happened in Iowa? Come
2: on, tundra
0: boy. <laughs> Explain it. I'm trying to demystify it. Um, well, I think, you know. We'll get the venison report after this, but go ahead. I think the the, the narrative arc here is, is you know, in, in December, Ted in public polling at least, Ted Cruz emerged as a frontrunner in Iowa. It seemed like in the final weeks before the caucuses, the tide had turned and Donald Trump was reclaiming that kind of top spot. Um, the Cruz campaign throughout all of January um, was confident that, that they were going to win. And they were confident on, on two things, um, that the public polls were wrong, which is usually a complaint of any campaign, but this time around they were really betting that the public polls are wrong. They were betting that the public polls were perhaps overstating Donald Trump's support um, and other kind of uh, deeper numbers in the, in the surveys. And they're also betting on the fact that turnout would not be explosively high, as some people were predicting. High, but um, not high, high. Exactly, they were kind of looking for a sweet spot of turnout. Um, You know, you can get to the numbers, but, you know, they were hoping for something in the range of 130,000 to 140,000. It actually ended up being higher than that, and they they still won, I think.
2: They were Snoop Dogg
0: high. (laughs) Okay.
2: And in fact, didn't it completely counter every conventional wisdom? Exactly. Yes. Conventional wisdom about high turnout would benefit Trump, everybody thought?
0: Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the turnout, I think, at least by one report on election night, was as high as 180,000. And again, the conventional wisdom was that high turnout would benefit Trump because it would suggest all these new caucus goers are coming out and new caucus goers. Are predisposed to support Trump, so they had a really successful night in that regard. And that the the results, you know, disproved a lot of the public polling, um, disproved the idea that super high turnout or higher than 140 turnout would uh, favor Trump. And they ended up winning by th- by three points. And they also were able to kind of use this as an immediate. Um, Piece of evidence to argue that in all these states going forward, where Trump has these massive leads, we should be re-examining it's the conventional illusory, wisdom. It's all right. Yeah, I mean, right. literally, they poked yeah. a hole in the balloon. Minutes right. after the race was was called for Cruz, his his campaign spokespeople um, were saying, particularly Rick Tyler, one of his um, his spokespeople, was saying, "I've been saying for weeks that Trump support, Trump voters are not real, and this proves it tonight." That may be a bit of an overstatement, but that was definitely the the immediate attitude or mood that they had following. Well, the, well in, in the
2: fact, results. the extra turnout turned it turned out that all those additional people were not coming out to vote for Trump. They were coming out to schlong Trump to, pick, sure, to, 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 use, a, yeah. to use his preferred for To vote for, to vote for Marco, to
1: vote, to vote for, for Rubio. Rubio. No,
2: I think that they were coming, I think that in fact what the greater turnout was was a, was combination, a not of, Trump it was combination of a Rubio surge and people who were coming out going, bitch, please, we're not going <laughs> to elect this guy. I mean, I was a bumper sticker up there, <laughs> yeah, right? Yes. Right, please, we're not going to elect <laughs> this guy. And And, and honestly, <laughs> to the degree that we were all feasting on Trump In the pre-Iowa period, we are now feasting on the aftermath, and the aftermath is more delicious Mm -hmm. and juicier than the pre. Two things
1: to point out here. There were fewer people voting in the two caucuses in Iowa than it takes to elect a mayor in Dallas, A. B, the whole spread between first place and third place in the Republican primary was four and a half percentage points. It's a a dot race still. Right, and the
2: reality is Trump— got more votes than anybody who's run an Iowa caucus on the Republican side at least in history except for Ted Cruz.
0: Yeah, exactly. He got right?
2: significantly more votes. I'm sure he feels great about that. Well, but listen, he got significantly more votes than sure any yeah. well, <laughs> Iowa caucus than did Mike Huckabee. He got more votes than did Rick Santorum. He got more than previous winners going all the way back to the beginning of time. You know, it is easy to, to whip it out and urinate on the flaming ashes or smoldering ashes of this guy's campaign. I mean, its it has gotten to be... It is like people are dancing on his grave. You pick your preferred metaphor. I mean, I actually think... There were a lot of
1: metaphors in there. I was going <laughs> say, that, that was your preferred metaphor. I we could broadcast a look blame. on Julian's <laughs> face right now. <laughs> now. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's upset. Oh, well, I don't want to upset him. He wasn't upset. Me. No, he wasn't upset. Wasn't he like was his upset. his he was delicate jackalope sensibility. I thought you could have taken that up a notch. You're right. Yes, he said that.
2: No, look. Here's the thing about Trump. Everyone's all, like, excited to bury the guy. The guy finished in second, but he still got all those votes. Right. right. And you know what? The first post-Iowa caucus poll in New Hampshire, he hasn't moved. So, Patrick, you said something— There's not any guarantee that the Trump balloon is necessarily going to rapidly and permanently deflate. No
1: guarantee. What was it like on the ground? You were talking to me a little bit ago. Yeah, about election night.
0: I mean, you know, as we pointed out, the Cruz campaign was very confident that all this— talk in the end here that Trump was regaining his lead was kind of false and, and overstated. Um, but at the election day party in Des Moines, it was on the Iowa State Fairgrounds. It was a festive at- atmosphere. Obviously, people were celebrating. But it was kind of, uh, you know, the attitude immediately afterward from his, his campaign and, and people on the ground there was kind of <laughs> like business as usual. You know, we got this victory. We're going to move there forward. There were a lot of fish pumping uh, going on. Yeah, people were happy. But I mean, it was um, he got on a plane right away and went right to New Hampshire. I think he he and the press landed in New Hampshire like 2 a.m. And started campaigning almost immediately after he got up the next morning. Um, you know, they were confident they are going to pull this off. They pulled it off. Uh, the, mo- the most dramatic part of the night was his speech, as, as we were discussing. <laughs> right, which, which, was which honestly, may
2: still be going on. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. It's like a Fidel Castro deal. It was
1: like
0: <laughs> it's kind of long. Three or well, four know, hours, the, right? The cable
2: networks, to, in, to entirely support the Cruz campaigns, yeah, yeah, they they that the away. media is against them.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> they cut away from the winner. How long into the speech did they cut away? It was in the middle of it. I mean, I don't think it was – they cut away when it was still in full swing. <laughs> in the appetizer course. Right. Right? They, they didn't cut away too much
2: long after he said, to God be the glory. Yeah. That may have actually been the trigger for them to cut away. <laughs> right. You know? Oh, it's going to be one of yeah. those speeches. Great. Right. Yeah. You know, turn now on the, back to the basketball to game watch to watch the rest yeah. of this speech. Look, the Cruz, the Cruz people deserve an enormous amount of credit because they stuck to their story that they had the superior ground game, and they did. They didn't have to do it. I mean, the, the stuff with Ben Carson, let's just for the moment put that to the side.
1: Well, let's just talk about that well, for yeah,
2: a minute. We'll, we'll, I'll to that one second. I, 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 we can talk about that. But I want to give the Cruz people credit for never wavering from their confident belief yeah. that they had the superior ground game and that they had this. And look, history is written by the winners. They, these guys get the credit for doing everything that they did. Now, look, I think a lot of things were in play. Where did all those Rubio votes come from? A lot of those Rubio votes came from Trump. I'm absolutely convinced, I can't prove it, but I believe it, that a lot of those Rubio votes in the last 24 hours were votes that were as much, I don't want to vote for Ted Cruz but votes, as they were votes supporting Rubio, validating the Rubio campaign's theory that it is going to be the AB blank, ABD, anybody but Donald, or ABT, anybody but Ted candidate. They don't care how they got those votes, I suspect, they're just glad to have them. Rubio went up roughly by the proportion that Trump went down. If you right? believe all those polls before If you believe him, the right. polls, if you believe gold seltzer, gold standard seltzer, you know, the woman who d- right. n- never wrong until this year who ran a Des Moines Register poll, yeah. they were off by about six points on Trump. They were off by six points or more on Rubio. I do believe that a lot of that Rubio surge was a Trump deflation, yeah. right? And so, you know, you can't give the Cruz people credit for Trump deflating. I mean, they certainly tried to help him deflate. But the Cruz people get to do the, the, the end zone dance here because they won. How much That's of it.
1: what we saw in Iowa matters now? I mean, what is, you know, the how's Cruz going forward? forward? Yeah, and one of the yeah. things on my mind
2: is this. Is this President Huckabee.
1: Too. One of the things on my mind here is this um, Carson deal. I and mean, how does that play in other states where Carson may be more popular, sure. like South Carolina? Well, yeah.
0: well just to—yeah, so, you, you mentioned Huckabee. I mean, this is the argument that Cruz is making, though, is that unlike the past two Iowa caucus winners, I'm actually coming out of this with the money and the, the, the organization right. to go the distance. This is
1: the winner of the Huckabee-Santorum you know, trophy, And in, right? in, in Cruz's right.
0: version, of, version of history, and I'm sure there's some, some truth to this, both Huckabee and Santorum stumbled out of Iowa, broke and bloodied, and without any organization in the next states. Exactly. Um, so- somebody ripped the <laughs> sleeves off of
2: Santorum's sweater. That's exactly. how bad it
0: was. <laughs> Um, so that that's 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 that would that's the counter-argument he would make to the idea that he's the exception to this trend of caucus winners going on to lose. The, he's got to hope game. so, right? Yeah, exactly. It's, his only it's obviously a self-serving explanation, but there's certainly some truth to it. Um, the Carson thing, I think, is interesting um, because it, it begins to build on this narrative and the political effect of this remains to be seen, I think, that that the Cruz campaign, um, I don't want to say is playing dirty. That's the word well, that Carson set, would use. Set this up and yeah, say sure, what happened. Sure, sure. So, so – um, on caucus night uh, there was what I believe was an erroneous or at least somewhat false report that Ben Carson was going to drop out of the race. And the Cruz campaign immediately jumped on that report and sent out some kind of literature, some kind of notice to supporters, including, I believe, people at the actual caucus locations, um, saying Ben Carson is going to drop out of the race. It's time to consolidate around a, a true conservative in, in Ted Cruz. So they moved quickly, um, and they got some they got some some pushback on that when it came out that Ben Carson was indeed not dropping out of the race. Apparently he was just going home to, to get a fresh terrorist. He- Get clothes, some which, delicious hummus, yeah, or whatever exactly. Was doing. Right, um, which I think everybody in Iowa could have used at that point was a, a fresh pair of clothes. Um, so, uh, but you know, Ben Carson fired back at that, said it was campaign dirty tricks. You know, it was it was inappropriate. I think yesterday, eventually, um, the uh, Cruz campaign replied um, and said that they had personally apologized to Dr. Carson. Now that um, the votes are in, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, and then
3: of course, what happens
2: today? Yeah. Yeah. Trump tweets exactly. and deletes, but we all captured it as a screen grab. Right. Ted Cruz stole the election. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah and yeah. his right.
2: point was, Ted Cruz somehow, and in fact, Trump in fact, called at one point this morning for them to redo the caucus. He said, "Well, they ought to just I'll basically, pay for it. It'll be they great. They ought to just redo it. It'll be
3: tremendous. It'll be yeah. huge. They ought to redo it. It's like Mexico City. Um, what, what Trump is
0: banking on too here, and what I guess some of the opponents are, is that you know when you combine this with the mailer they sent out last week, which is very kind of. Um, right coercive in some and ways. And apparently skeezy
2: yeah. Goldman Sachs yeah. loan, and the fact that he's really a secret <laughs> Canadian. Always, always get skeezy in when you
0: In can. the same closet in which your Rubio
2: supporter Cruz is a closet Canadian, you know, Trump wants to create all this doubt in the mind of people that somehow Cruz is not to be trusted. There's yeah. something just not right about that boy and we are gonna not, can't elect him possibly. And it just looks like Trump ranting. I mean, it's kind of, I mean, from our perspective, it's great. I was in D.C. the last few days, and everybody said, What do you think about what's going on in the primary? I said, I don't know if it's good for the country. I know it's good for journalism. Sure. I know it's great for business. This is like the best theater you could possibly ask for.
0: So does Cruz keep winning? Well, I think he goes on to New Hampshire now. We got the the primary there. I think that, you know, as we wrote right right after the Iowa caucus, um, you know, he already had a bit of an opening there because of all the establishment. candidates fighting, duking it out there, beating each other up, splitting all that support. He already had an opening, and now with this momentum from Iowa, and if you believe his campaign that the Trump supporters aren't real, that creates right. an even wider opening for him there. Um, but he also is gonna have to deal with a, an ascendant Marco Rubio in, in New Hampshire, who again is kind of fighting for some of that establishment support that's so splintered right now. But I think it's, it's still gonna be a, a battle there. He's, he's taking the state seriously. He's yeah. gonna spend all his time there between now and uh, primary days. So.
2: The, the other part of this is that New Hampshire's not Iowa, and the New Hampshire voter is not the Iowa voter. Iowa has a huge percentage of evangelical voters. New Hampshire Doesn't. deliberately, let me say, say this very specifically, does not. Yeah, Kasich today, John Kasich was saying, you know, I don't believe in uh, appealing to God as a rationale for my – I'm paraphrasing. He said something. I don't, right. I don't believe in appealing to God as a, a rationale for my candidacy. That's, that's disrespectful of God. You know, this is a – flinty is the word often used to describe right. New Hampshire uh, voters. Another word might be Secular. Yeah. There well, is largely a secular
0: vote in New
2: Hampshire.
1: Yeah, Cruz, I mean— Crabby secular conservatives, yeah. that's the— yeah.
0: He's long banked on getting a lot Red of— chatter l- You know, getting yeah. libertarian support in New Hampshire, which now is, is certainly helped by Rand Paul getting out of the race. Um, and he, and even though the evangelical population there is not as, as as much of the electorate as it is in Iowa, he still believes he can take the lion's share of it and really fire it up and, and make really reliable supporters out of— Trump is significantly
2: ahead in New Hampshire in these polls. Again, long time between now and next Tuesday, it could conceivably be the case that Trump doesn't win. It could also be the case that Trump does win. It could be the case that Rubio comes on like a, a, a you know, a, a tears through this thing, and he becomes all of a sudden the surprise winner of New Hampshire. Or it
0: could be a muddled finish. Is it a three-man man
1: three race or is there a fourth candidate? Is there
0: a fourth seed here? In New Hampshire? Anywhere. Um I think in South. Mm, I
1: mean, I know there's nine people yeah, in the know. race. There's nine bodies still left. But. I think uh, nationally,
0: it's a three-person race at this point, as far as expectations. Yeah, you know, go Jeb up. exclamation yeah. point. Jeb question mark. I just wonder Jeb if
1: semicolon. I just I wonder know. if the shakeout includes maybe a fourth seat in this in the finals.
2: The establishment lane looks likeliest, and again, establishment's a layer. I'm, sure I'm not sure I buy the lane. I'm not sure I buy the lane. Rubio argument, but for an sure. establishment yeah, we candidate. Should, we should say that. But to sure. the degree that Rubio is the quote big fat fluffy air quotes establishment candidate the likeliest situation right now is that the establishment candidates Christy Kasich Bush essentially collapse and their support says again ABT ABD they end up with Rubio as yeah. a default. And
0: I think that needs to happen fast. Oh, my God. For, totally right after New Hampshire for for them to have any chance against a Trump or, or a Cruz. I mean, because in most yeah. of these polls, again, if we're believing public polls, you add up the the Christy Kasich, Rubio, Bush, and it's it's still under this right, level of support. Right, because if Carson Trump, collapses,
2: Carson's support is not going to go in yeah. large measure, I suspect, to Rubio. It's going to go to Cruz. Yeah. Right, unless they're it mad about the- Because it's to be a the, more evangelical, right? right? Yep. I mean, who knows?
1: Who right knows? Up. So one of the issues that has come up, uh, came up four years ago and sunk Rick Perry in New Hampshire and then in South Carolina was immigration and the border. And we're starting to see some noise around those things here in Texas. Julian, can you catch us up on this stuff?
3: Well, uh, Monday, the uh, the governor of Texas teamed up with a um, moderate Democrat from the border, Henry Coyard, to send a letter to DHS asking why. They had planned to cut air surveillance um, in half for this coming fiscal year. And this is part of a Department of Defense project called Operation Phalanx that uses Army National Guard assets. Um, but people just went nuts after this uh, this announcement. Um, DHS, so the story, our story says, you know, they're cutting air surveillance and you have to kind of read down. But the headline is DHS is cutting border surveillance by half ah, so uh, yeah exactly so everybody thinks so you this You bar- is... can
1: borrow jeb's exclamation point exactly
3: yeah so everybody thinks that you know fewer like everything is going to be cut in half uh dhs has been pretty quiet they said they would respond to the uh the governor and the congressman directly um then yesterday they came back and said well apprehensions are down which is you know a measurement for you know le- fewer crossers and whatnot the thing that they didn't say is that the amount of uh, unaccompanied minors and family units coming over from central america it's I mean, it's increased by, by triple-digit percentages from this time, from this fiscal year to the same time period last fiscal year. Obviously, the 2014 fiscal year was when it peaked. Um, so it's it, you know it's really it's really unclear. But this is this is something that. Um, Henry Cuellar has been screaming about for years, um, and he's also, what, what I was talking to Evan about earlier, is that, that what was interesting to me in this letter is that they mentioned Cuba. There's been tens of thousands of Cubans that have come over through the Laredo port, which extends from Del Rio down to Brownsville, ever since the Obama administration announced that they're gonna try to you know mend fences and, and be nice with the Castro regime. So these Cubans get a special status. A lot of people, a lot of Mexican immigrants say, this is not fair, they're here, they get here, they behave themselves for a year, and then they got they got a green card, pretty much. They can be citizens in four or five years. Um, why,
1: why do they get deal, that deal? How do we get on that train?
3: Yeah, exactly. Well, right. you got to turn the clock back to the 1960s, and you know, come from a, the Castro regime, you know, the, the right. hotbed of communism. So this is uh, this is something that was mentioned in the letter. I called uh, the governor's office. and I asked him. I was like, what's this change? Because Governor Abbott went to Cuba on a trade mission just a few months ago. right? This is a country that was taken off the state sponsor of terrorism list in May like of last year. Right, exactly. Right. So I mean, where is all, you know, where are they screaming bloody murder about them? Nobody said anything except Cuellar and Cornyn actually called for a repeal of the of the special provision, the wet foot dry foot provision that allows these Cubans to get the special status. But um, be that as it may, this uh, this DHS is saying, look, we're using our resources, we're using our money and and you know, we requested half of the air surveillance. It's not. It's not going to cut the amount of border patrol on. You know, the boots on the ground and everything else. This is just this one facet of it. Right. But uh, what's you know, nobody's sure how much is going to how much Texas is going to get versus California versus Arizona versus New Mexico. So this is uh, going to become kind of another one of this. One of these reasons for the GOP establishment and, you know, the far right people to scream bloody murder that the Obama administration is letting people come over. And
2: Th- this ties directly, Julian, back into the conversation we were just having about the Republican primary. What is the principal fault line between Cruz and Rubio? Right. Immigration. What has Donald Trump rocketed right. into everybody's view uh, over uh, I- immigration, or he would say, the wall that he intends to build and, and ha- get President Peña Nieto to pay for it. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Right. Um, uh, this is a major issue and will continue to be a major issue right. in, in the campaign. I was in Washington, uh, I mentioned earlier, I was in Washington the last couple of days and I was with Senator Orrin Hatch last night at an event that the San Antonio Chambers had put on at the Capitol talking to him uh, among other subjects about immigration and the question of Rubio and Cruz and where he comes down. And Hatch's position to this group was essentially, look, Rubio was part of this gang of eight, right. which has become kind of a pejorative descriptor. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, he was part of that discussion, Mm -hmm. Um, it's become controversial for him to be associated with an attempt to fix the problem in the way that he did. Hatch said, look, he ought to own it. And he meant that in a positive way. Um, There is a need to fix this problem. There is a need to figure out what to do with all the people who are here without documentation. There's a need to figure out what to do with all the people who are coming over or want to come over. Um, This is going to continue to be, the Cruz people of course say it was Chuck Schumer and Barack Obama and Marco Rubio who wanted to, to to do this, and it was essentially, or was in fact, amnesty? This is going to continue to be an issue. News like this only flames; right. the flames only sort of uh, right. uh, get get hotter and hotter as a political issue.
3: And and another thing on the, on the Cuban thing, I mean, it,
2: it helps uh, the people on the hardline right. end of this conversation. But are right. you gonna are
3: you gonna are you gonna if you're running for president right now on the <laughs> Republican side, are you going to speak out against this current policy that lets these Cubans get this special status and piss off a bunch of Florida Republicans?
1: Right. Yeah, that's a question. Yeah. So, And you're also taking this argument to the Supreme Court, another immigration case. Right. Uh, Texas is in the middle of this thing. I guess these arguments in this decision are going to land in the middle of this election year.
3: Right. Yeah, so uh, they set the calendar for March, so the Supreme Court likely hear arguments. And you're referring to the, uh, the DAPA-DACA case that right. the state of Texas- um, So tell us, give us a quick brief on that. Quick brief is in November 2014, President Obama announced that he was expanding Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, which is known as DACA. Um, and he was letting some of those folks parents also get not a green card not citizenship but pretty much a reprieve from deportation and a work permit a right. renewable work permit Right. not
1: really welcome but you don't have to go
3: yeah you know I mean and, and people say well this is you're creating a, a class of you know second class citizens and other people saying hey man you know they're, they're already here working might as well let them do it without looking over their shoulder for you know for APD or for a sanctuary city right. um, sort of controversy and get roped into the jail so um Former Attorney General, current Governor Greg Abbott filed suit in December, uh, a few weeks after this was um, announced in December 2014, and the state of Texas has prevailed three times. Uh, Once at the the federal district level, Judge Hainan out of Brownsville, who's been on record of being very vocal against the Obama administration's immigration policies, and twice at the Fifth Circuit. So now it's getting kicked up to the Supremes. Um, Even if the Obama administration prevails, though, a decision will come down in June. So what is that, six months? to oh, let, people, right. to let people sign up for it. Right. And, uh, you know, the amount of people that would have signed up even today or maybe six months ago is being cut in half because they're going to think if a Cruz or a Rubio comes in the office that my, you know, my name is out there, my address is out there, they know where to get me. If they do away with this, you know, what, what's, what's going to happen to me? But I um, sat down with the... Uh, the Solicitor General Scott Keller, who's been very successful in arguing um, this case before. Successor to calls. one Ted Cruz, right? Exactly. Right. Yeah. And the first assistant, um, Chip Roy, and they, you know, they're they're confident going in and they say this isn't this isn't what presidents have done in the past, because every president since Kennedy, I think, has done some sort of administrative action on immigration. They said, no, this is different. He's giving about five million people. Benefits. He's not just saying don't deport these people. He's like that's you know that's apples and oranges according to them. So
1: so either place the Supreme Court lands in June, mm-hmm. it's going to be political, right? Oh, I mean you're going to have something to argue about. Either see we stuffed the dem we stuffed the Republicans or we need to stop this and change you know whatever, right? right? Yeah. Um, so that'll keep going. Um, let's talk about the AG a little bit. So Ken Paxton <laughs> seems to it's just a pileup. Every every day you open up you know some new can of worms. The latest one is the Texas Ethics Commission was asked anonymously. Everybody assumes it was a lawyer for Ken Paxton, but, you know, honestly, we don't know that. Um, We assume that was asked anonymously if there was some way that out-of-state donations could be made to a legal defense fund for someone in the attorney general's office. And And the reason it's phrased that way is the attorney general, there's a it's a different section of law. Usually when you give a gift to a public official. As long as it meets certain rules, it's not a bribe. This gift doesn't constitute a bribe. I'm going to buy lunch for this guy. I'm going to buy this guy a cup of coffee. I'm going to give this guy a trophy, whatever whatever it is. Um, The AG's office is a little bit different, and it basically says, you know, in fancy legal language, that you can't take any money from anybody who has had business with the state, has business with the state, or will have business with the state. So anybody who's interested in helping you out is no longer eligible to give you money. (laughs) Right, basically how the law reads, and so they said, you know,
2: uh, unlike uh, uh, gifts made to uh, judges,
1: right, right, or to railroad commissioners, right, or right? to I mean, legislators we seem to have a or bit of governors, a or yeah, as far as that goes. yeah, yeah, you right. guys, you guys can have a steak, you can't have anything. Bring your own, you know, bring your own crackers. So uh, Paxton
2: has been <laughs> crackers. You shouldn't <laughs> mention crackers at lunch. At lunchtime, I'm kind of. Paxton
1: has been indicted on securities charges that have to do with his business as a private lawyer not as the state's lawyer and so he has a bunch of lawyers to protect him from that he can't use campaign funds because it's not an official act it's not something he did in office or as a candidate so the question is can he raise money for a defense fund they you know they'd like a favorable answer to this the ethics commission voted actually voted in favor of this but didn't have enough votes to make it an advisory opinion an advisory opinion is a is an affirmative defense in a legal case. So Paxton doesn't have an umbrella from the state. So, so he can they need, still they try need, to raise this money. What was the vote? They needed five. Yeah, it was four to three. OK, um, they needed five. There was one commissioner, Wilhelmina Delco, was out of town. And, you know, the sort of the whispered consensus seems to be that she would have been with the three and not with the four. So anyway, so they've dropped it. And Paxton can still try this, but he doesn't have the affirmative defense from the Ethics Commission. So do you so take the, the risk? risk
2: to him is what?
1: Is that he raises this money and somebody says, you know, I think that's bribery under the statute, and some prosecutor in the state of Texas goes after him, and the money that he raised to get out of criminal charges turns out to be the source of new criminal charges. It's just yeah, yeah it's just a circular mess. I mean, the immigration thing and other things, you know, suggest that his office is still functioning well. Perfectly and let me fine, let me, make, but, let
2: me right. make a point on that. So the uh, l- let me speak in the voice of not necessarily saying that I believe this, but let me give voice to the belief of those who are Paxton supporters on this. They say... It's going to be a rich little deal. They, sl- <laughs> Fred Travellina, how far back... <laughs> Frank Gorshin. How Frank far Gorshin, back okay, do you go, go, go. They'll say, yeah, 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 but he's still doing the job of Attorney General of Texas, right. undeterred, undistracted he's by a, these political attacks.
1: He's a little deterred. In October, he said he was going to recuse himself right. from all... Of the business in his office that involves securities and ethics law, because those are things that it has might stumble he done it? over. He has apparently. I mean, we don't have okay. any no evidence to the contrary. All
2: right, but so f- fine. But presumably that business done by the attorney general's office, because after all, there's the guy, and there's the office. Right. And the work of the office is really the work of the guy he's not personally coming in every day, opening the mail, cleaning coffee cups out of the kitchen. Maybe you should come over here. We have a pretty disgusting kitchen, right? Um, He's not doing, he's not like, you know, walking around saying to everybody, do you need anything? Like he's refilling water glasses or butter pats, you know? He's the attorney general, but there's an office.
1: You got a funny movie going in your head, but go ahead.
2: It's been a long, it's been a long day. Um, It's an office and the point made by the paxton defenders is that the office of attorney general is functioning effectively undeterred undistracted by all this other stuff all this other stuff they would go on to say is political bs and they would say the ethics commission getting involved in this in a way that is adverse or even adversely neutral to Paxton is suspicions confirm that this is all political BS well, because they say the ethics commission is the locus of of ethics and campaign finance related political BS. I'm not saying I believe this. I'm saying this is what they would say. The, they say the ethics commission though wasn't
1: BS. acting on their own accord. They were asked into this. Understood. Thing. They believe, you know, a lot of people over there believe they were asked in by Paxton's people. I'm
2: giving voice to what the defenders would say. The defenders would say is that we in the press and we out here in the world with nothing to do but to gaze at our navels would continue to make the argument that somehow Paxton has been hobbled by this when there's actually very little evidence that Paxton has been hobbled by this.
1: It's hard to put That's your it's hard to put your imprimatur on your agency. He's a year in, a little more than a year in. He was right. sworn in last January. Okay. It's hard to sort of put your imprimatur on the agency and own the thing if you're also have one hand tied behind your back because of Right. Indictments. There's another investigation going on that started apparently in November about a real estate deal in mm-hmm. Collin County.
2: Right, but you would have to you'd have to be in the camp that believed that he could not ride the bike with one hand tied behind his back because they'll say all evidence is that the bike is pre- proceeding along. I think he'd prefer to lovely. ride it with no hands tied well, behind. Well, he'd, pre- he'd prefer to be carried like the pharaoh on people's shoulders, but he's not. That's not what's happening. Well, but that's what's
1: supposed to happen to you in your first year in office. Look, you get a elected would, to the thing. You know, everybody gets a free free now, first year. Here's your honeymoon. Now, his now, honeymoon's.
2: Now I'm going to switch from the voice of the defenders to the voice of me. Politically, this is bad for him. Right. Guy has any aspirations to serve an office beyond the office of governor going forward? He's probably got a problem because this is not just Dan Branch bitching from Highland Park or anybody associated with Dan Branch's campaign bitching between the He's been remarkably quiet
1: since the campaign. As a church mouse. Right.
2: This is not just opponents of Ken Paxton, you know, talking smack about him. Now this is actually a thing. Right. Politically, it's a problem for Paxton, but substantively, as far as the office of the Attorney General and the business of the state being done as the state's lawyer and whatever else, I think it's hard to argue that the office of the Attorney General has acted one scintilla differently. Right.
3: Yeah, but for than this, well,
2: would have, except for the recusing himself on the security stuff. Right. I, right.
3: I, I well, I asked, I asked uh, the first assistant AG, Chip, Chip Roy, Roy. Asked, right. you know, and and the solicitor general said. How do you, How are you guys functioning with all this going on? You was know? there?
1: Was there? Just before you start, was there an eye roll?
3: <laughs> no, no, actually, there was. You know, there was no left hook that came out of nowhere. Nothing. Okay. good. Um, and you know, they they gave me what the the response you would expect. This is a you know seven thousand employees. You know, we. You know, how many you know cases before us, and we collect eighty million dollars in child support. You know, this is. There's so many moving parts. I said, yeah, grant. You know, granted that. You know, but you guys are probably closer than all those. You know, thousands of employees. And they said, look. And to, to Evan's point, um, when they argue the dapa case in uh, April, that'll be uh, the Solicitor General's fifth time before the Supreme Court in... In the year? Uh, in the year and a half, well, since, since he started the position last January. Right. That's pretty good. I mean, there are a lot of attorneys that don't, don't get one or two in a lifetime. I mean, this is five in, in a year and a half, so and they we, are, we so they are working. they are need
2: to be the suing estate in the country, right? right? I mean, and that's, still that like... has
3: a lot to do with it. said so We have right. so many petitions pending before, you know, the appellate courts, the Supreme Court. So, so they are working, but, you know... And, and they said, "Our job, you know, pretty much indictment or not, is first, uh, first assistant attorney general, solicitor general. Is you know we we are in the leadership team anyway. We would be doing this nonetheless. But you know, I mean, he." Um Chip Roy gave a, an interview to, I think it was Texas Lawyer, a while back. And he mentioned, he's like, yeah, this is this is not good. I mean, there's no way you can spin like, oh, this doesn't affect us one bit. Right. And especially with somebody like Chip Roy, who's worked for for Perry, for and for Cruz. I mean, he's, he's known throughout the GOP establishment. Guy, guy can't hold a job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tell him that. <laughs>
2: Man, you're off the Christmas card list. <laughs>
1: um, well, on that note, uh, there's an announcement here, the 6th annual can you believe this the sixth annual tribune festival is coming up we have dates september 23rd 24th and 25th in sunny austin texas we hope uh tickets are available insert joke here on the 20th of april
2: 420
1: 420 how about that's that your,
2: that's your birthday isn't it What it? Well, it happens to be my 50th birthday but i'm just back to making a 420 joke this Good. may now be the <laughs> second snoop dog <laughs> <laughs> reference you and why, another
3: why, guy why, okay, why not William nelson man you're in texas come on I think that— You should should stand next to somebody Steve McCraw
1: would be proud of. In
2: the the marijuana (laughs) marijuana universe, I find Snoop to be a more compelling protagonist.
1: You can get more details on this at texastribune.org slash festival. If you have comments or questions about the Tribcast, email them to tribcast at texastribune.org. You can also sign up for Tribcast alerts at texastribune.org slash tribcast. We'd like to thank Shiny Ribs for doing our music.
2: Well, let's mention one more thing. Sure. That you can now receive Ross Ramsey's column.
3: All right, I got that this morning.
2: As an email uh, in your inbox. First couple of paragraphs, click uh, to read the whole thing. But the point is, we're now pushing Ross's column to all of you. Ross writes his column three times a week. Three times a week. Um, You know, the... the the most unconventional, unconventional wisdom, um, truth-telling.
1: The weirdest stuff on the Texas Tribune's website. The weirdest stuff
2: on the site. The most grown-up stuff on the site. No no <laughs> references to Snoop or whipping it out or whatever else we've talked about the fourth on this trip. Yeah, test.
1: maybe. You know, maybe coming. At <laughs> some point. He's from, anyways, he is so from El Paso.
2: How do people <laughs> uh, sign up for your column?
1: Uh, you can go to our website and get into the newsletter section where you sign up for subscription center. W- sub tri- subscription center. Right. We have a subscription center apparently. Yeah.
2: We'll Operators are standing by now. We've been doing this long enough that <laughs> no. we have a subscription center. <laughs> SMH.
1: Anyway, right? you can you can find your way around in there, or just send us an email and we'll we'll hook you up. On behalf of Evan, Patrick, Julian, and our producer Todd, this is Ross. Thanks for listening.
0: Texas talking. Talking,
3: oh, God,
2: when's talking coming back?